Hello and welcome to Adam Analyzes. My name is Adam and I'll be your host. So for this one here, this is a movie that was initially a big flop. Big flop uh, with critics, big flop with audiences, and Universal went and more or less shelved this one and just kind of released it under its Gramercy Pictures releasing label. Even more fascinating is the fact that this one here has a definite following and also has only increased in its popularity, mostly for its cheese. It is fun in some respects, but also in some respects, it's a bad movie. This one here is 1994's Double Dragon. Alright, so before we begin, we should do a little brief history of Double Dragon. For those of you who do not know, this is a video game series that started back in 1987. The arcade game was a certified hit and spawned no less than eight games across various different platforms. It's been released on everything from the Atari 2600, seriously, I actually own this one, all the way up through the Nintendo Switch. So this has had a pretty lengthy history as far as video games and notoriety. I myself am actually a big fan of most of the games in the series. I do not care for Double Dragon 3. Double Dragon 1 and 2, as well as the recently released Double Dragon 4, are pretty awesome games. There is also more or less a remake, which is Double Dragon Advance for the Game Boy Advance. And if you're a fan of this series and you haven't checked that one out, I definitely recommend seeking it out because it's a good one. I forgot to mention too that this has also spawned a animated TV show. I never watched the animated show back in the day. However, I was aware of it. And it also spawned a movie which we're talking about today. 1994's Double Dragon, starring Scott Wolf, Mark Dacascos, Alyssa Milano, and Robert Patrick. It's actually not a half bad cast here, and it seems like the one that's genuinely having a lot of fun is Robert Patrick himself. Watching it on Blu-ray the other day was actually my first time seeing this movie all the way through. I've seen bits and pieces of the film, I knew that it wasn't really a great movie. I remember it did get a release in Pennsylvania, locally, and, well, we never saw it because while my mom knew that I was a fan of the games, she didn't really want to take me to see the movie because of the fact it looked like a bad movie. We saw the commercials on TV, and it just didn't look very good. But as a kid, I was kind of in that same mindset as well. It was a movie that didn't really look that great to me. It wasn't what I envisioned, a movie based off of a video game that I loved. It wasn't what I thought it should be. Now, watching it as an adult, that's a different story. I can appreciate a bad movie or a unique adaptation of something, but when I was growing up, I wasn't really willing to accept it. And that's the thing here, is that this actually isn't a half-bad movie. It's a little over the top. It's a lot over the top in many respects. But it has kind of a charming nature to it. It's almost like it knew what it was. And I think that's one of the things that is in its strengths. It definitely knew that it wasn't going to be an Oscar-winning film. It seems like they set out to make a fun film. 
the downside to this is, is that it had almost an $8 million budget, which still at the time is low budget. And the movie definitely looks low budget. And that's where the actual direction and look of the movie, it only reminds me of a film that's a little bit of better quality than a trauma film. I think it actually shares quite a few similarities to something that trauma would produce. I will say that while I didn't care for the design of a Bobo in this film, I did like the fact that the Kyoto brothers that did Killer Clowns from Outer Space, as well as the original designs for Critters and Puppetry for Team America World Police, I thought he, he looked good, but wasn't what I thought a Bobo should look like. If you look at him in the game and then you look at the movie, you're going to wonder what in the world happened to the design there. I think one of the most unique things about this movie is the fact that the talent behind the writing here is the most fascinating thing to me. And that's the fact that writer Paul Dini was one of the co-credited story writers. And also we have Peter Gould as a co-script writer. So a point of reference right there, Paul Dini was one of the original writers and creators of Batman the Animated Series. And we have Peter Gould, who was a writer and producer on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. So we actually have pretty good pedigree here, even though, for example, Peter Gould, he was just kind of starting out. And this would be something that normally, if you're an established writer and you're on something that has a lot of critical acclaim, you're going to bash your previous work potentially. But no, Peter Gould is actually kind of proud of it because of the fact that it was one of his earliest screenwriting opportunities. And I think that's pretty awesome. It's kind of refreshing that we don't have a writer that's going to bash something that they may not be especially proud of, but instead he takes the complete opposite direction. And no, he's actually proud of the movie and thinks that there's a lot of fun to be had with it. And I would agree, it is fun. The worst part about it is that due to some of the, I guess, editing choices, it kind of drags a little bit. I don't know if it's a direction or screenwriting aspect or the editing, but the movie feels like it definitely drags. I did like the pop culture references of the time with different celebrities. It's very humorous because of the fact that this is New Angeles, where Los Angeles broke off, presumably from the rest of the United States, and is now its own little island type of thing. Kind of reminds me of Escape from L.A. a little bit, but I'm going to say Escape from L.A. is my preferred movie over this, definitely. But they have like their little pop culture references. For example, Vanna White is one of the newscasters, and then we also have Andy Dick as the weatherman for the news station. And it seems like as far as like the little jokes, uh, as far as like the little spoof commercials, it seems like it had almost a RoboCop type of satire ambition. It's just that was never really carried through. And I think if they would have went with one feel over another, because the movie has a couple different feels throughout, it doesn't know if it really wants to go all in on the cheesiness 
or if it wants to have some serious moments. And I think that's the worst part about it is that this is actually a little uneven. It's not bad and it's definitely still watchable. It's just with a little bit better crafting, it could have actually been even more entertaining than what it is. The acting itself is pretty standard for this type of movie. It's very, I hate to say it again, but it's very cheesy and over the top in a lot of ways. And well, the acting is definitely not something that is going to win any Oscars, but it's definitely serviceable for the movie itself. I thought one of the most interesting deviations from the video game to the movie is the fact that Marion, Marion is actually not the damsel in distress, but instead she's a real full-fledged character. She's fully fleshed out here, and that was the most impressive thing because Marion, at the very beginning of the game, that's what Billy and Jimmy Lee are seeking out. They're trying to get her back. And, well, she's actually kind of a badass here, leading a resistance gang. I think Robert Patrick was one of the few that understood what they were going with here. He knew that he didn't have to be super serious, and that really carries over to the whole movie. He tries oh so hard to be bad, and it doesn't quite work. But again, I actually am a fan of Robert Patrick. While Terminator 2 was the first time I ever saw him in anything, I did not mind him on the X-Files. I just didn't want him to be a replacement for Mulder and Scully. And, well, he kind of was. But overall, I don't mind the guy or his acting at all. He's entertaining here and, well, honestly, he's entertaining in just about everything that I've seen him in. So remember earlier when I said about that it felt like a trauma film? With the way the gangs and the various bad guys are portrayed, it really does feel like something that would fit right in with the Toxic Avenger or something. I don't know if that was an inspiration for them or if this is just what they thought that the 80s and 90s punks and gangs would look like. But honestly, I've never seen anything like that in real life. And this was set into the future of 2007. And thankfully, nothing like this ever happened in 2007. It's a futuristic movie that, again, now is dated purely by time. But overall, I think if you're actually curious about this movie and want to see what the cult status of this film actually is because it does have its fans. I know that Will, within our honest opinion, is one of them. I called it a bad movie, and, well, he corrected me on that because he doesn't feel that way at all on it. I honestly say give it a shot. You never know if you're going to like it or not, and if you don't like it, shut it off. But if you stick it through, you'll actually find that it's a very entertaining film. I think I'm going to close out this episode. As a reminder, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam underscore analyzes. Also check out AdamAnalyzes.com. You can catch up on past episodes or listen to this current episode. If you don't want to contact me through social media, you can also drop me an email at AdamAnalyzesPodcast at gmail.com. And also, if you would, please leave a review at the listening platform of your choice. I definitely love those digital hugs and allow me to keep creating for you guys. But with that being said, good night.